Hi, and welcome to Build 'em Up, where we hear from great people building the health and well-being of rural communities right around Australia. This Build 'em Up podcast is proudly supported by NBN. I'm Claire from the National Rural Health Alliance, together with Gabrielle, our CEO and passionate rural health advocate. Thanks, Claire. And in episode four, we're catching up with Jack Jones from the Banksia Project, who's on the road and speaking to us from Orange in central west New South Wales. The Banksia Project is all about early intervention in mental health and helping to establish supportive mental health community networks for men across our regions. So welcome, Jack. Uh, so, Jack, first of all, it's a pleasure. So, Jack, first of all, can you paint a picture as to why we, you chose the Banksia flower for the name of your group's work? Yeah, great question, and it pops up quite a lot. Um, we we chose the Banksia flower for a few different reasons, uh, one of them being that after fire comes through, um, those Banksia seedlings drop and, and you know, go through the, the challenge and the trauma, and then those bright pink flowers are one of the first things to, to thrive in what has been a challenging environment. Um, and, and those those seedlings drop everywhere and they start absolutely um, becoming a, a sign of beauty and strength in, in what has been a challenging time. So that, that was one of the reasons. Um, another one is that Indigenous populations used to use the, the sap of the Banksia flower for energy um, and, and the nectar for energy. And, and then I think one thing that also in, in the way we've we've used the logo, it's it's a circle. Um, and that represents a, a sense of circle of uh, community, of people coming together to support each other with no um, start or no end, but just a, a safe space of an equal opportunity of a group to support one another. Fantastic. Thank you. And so what's been your vision for Banks here? My, look, my vision has been uh, a really ambitious one to say, look, how can we support as many men as possible to hopefully go through their challenges more safely and more effectively? with the support of a group. Um, we we run a, a whole range of different programs, but most importantly, it's about giving men the skills they need before crisis um, so that when these challenges pop up, which they do for everyone, they're inevitable, um, these men have the skills or, or the tools that we sometimes call them in, in their toolbox to, to navigate challenges safely, um, make sense of, of what their emotions are and what they're feeling, and also that they know how to reach out for support and talk to the people around them and then on the contrary to that, that um, the people around them ha have the skills to have a conversation to support their friends and family and loved ones. So, Jack, you get out and about in the regions. What's your sense of um, sort of the state of play with mental health, uh, particularly uh, among, you know, men in our rural towns and communities? Look, I think um, we, we've come a huge, a huge long way. Uh, and I use the example of, an organisation like Are You OK? I wouldn't be able to do the work that I, I do now if it wasn't for the barriers they've broken down over the last 10 years. Um, but I still think there's a huge way to go. Um, what what the next step of, I'd say, the next wave of, of this of this mental health, um, I guess, support has to look like is, is safe spaces to talk about what people need to, safe tools to talk about it safely and a safe audience um, to talk to. 
And, and I do believe there's a whole range of different services. You know, the Banks Here project provides growth rooms, which provide those things. Um, but not everyone's going to resonate with that. So I think that it's about understanding what the services are at play. And as I said, there's a whole range. Um, connecting those services together so that they're all working together to improve each other's outcomes and, and probably working with um, the same clients and the same population groups. So how can we actually improve each other's services and, and make sure that we're not trying to do a, a one-size-fits-all model, that each community we're working with has different needs and, and different requirements. And so understanding what that community needs and trying to resource that rather than having a, a one-size-fits-all solution coming in and and perhaps implementing something that isn't quite appropriate or relevant for that community group. So that sounds like you've uh, named a number of the hallmarks of what makes the Banksia project work so well. Um, are there? Can you tell us just a little bit more around that whole notion of the mates helping mates within a local community and being so unique to that community? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, if, if I if I was to go into a rural community, you know, we were in Orange last night, for example, and we host an event. And if I was to go in and present and talk about my story, and, and I could easily do that. But a lot of the community going, well, you're not one of us. We don't know you. We don't trust you. But also, you haven't gone through the, the nuances of what Orange is all about. Um, and that, that is the same in every other community. They will, they will go, well, you know, we don't know you. Um, so one of the things that I've focused really hard on at the Banksia Project is finding who the local community stakeholders are, who the men, particularly because we're focusing on men's mental health, who the men are who have respect in the community, but also who have gone through challenges and, and identifying those key stakeholders and, and asking them to talk about their story. Um, and, and what that does is it makes it relevant and appropriate for the local community. It gives them a realistic perspective on, on what it's like to live in that community and, and also says, okay, well, men in this community can admit that they've struggled at times and that's okay. Um, but then the next phase of that is then giving, we, we have a framework and we have some, some resources to support men safely rather than us uh, facilitating that externally and, and, you know, the fly-in, fly-out model and things like that, which, you know, has has its merits in some ways, but... We train local men to support one another um, and we just provide them a safety net, a structure and a framework to do so. And, and that allows the, the program to stay relevant, um, to stay realistic and, and appropriate to the local group and also to stay um, at a ground level and, and really get that community buy-in rather than just trying to externally facilitate something and not quite get an engagement. Can you tell us a little bit more about that session that you had last night in Orange? Yeah, absolutely. So it was it was really phenomenal. We, we had about uh, between 80 to 100 guests down at um, the local rugby club. Wednesday night, raining, um, there was a, a boxing match on, and, and so every excuse not to come. But um, we had 80 to 100 people there from the community, uh, men and women, to talk about men's mental health in rural communities. Um, we had two men who have, who have gone through Banksia growth rooms, and they've been involved now for the last three or four years. Um, get up and tell their lived experience. You know, their their sons were in the room, their family were in the room, and they spoke about things that they've never shared um, with that group. But they share once a month with our with their safe growth room uh, peers. And what that did is it said to everyone in the community, it's okay to talk about what you're going through. Um, we then had a panel discussion with myself, the two men who, who are participants and facilitators in our growth rooms, and the CEO of Lifeline Central West, Stephanie Robinson, 
Um, and we, we had a really constructive conversation where, you know, we spoke about some of the barriers to help seeking, some of the challenges that individuals face, but also some of the challenges that some of the service providers face. Um, and, and it was really great to unpack some of those things as well as then ask, answer any questions from the audience. And we had a lot of really great questions from men and women about how do I access help and support, but also for, for women particularly, how do I help the men in my life? How do I get them to seek help and support if I identify that challenges might be um, reaching a, a critical point? Um, and then the last really important aspect of this of this event last night is, is we wanted to pull together a mental health marketplace. Um, we spent a lot of time, you know, consolidating and working with the Orange community and they identified that, you know, there are so many services available. You, you've got, you know, a whole range of, of different stakeholders who are in the same uh, I guess, had the same purpose. And so we wanted to bring them all together and say, if you don't know who these organisations are, then link up with the services, find out what they do. Uh, but also as the service providers, you should know the other organisations that are working in the same space. And mm -hmm. and so we had a whole range of people from Lifeline, uh, NEMI, we had a, a ramp coordinator, uh, but then we also had people like financial um advisors and people from from local finance institutions to just give free um, support that they can provide because obviously we know that um, financial stress can be a huge challenge um, we we had uh, a person who they're from Catholic care who were providing uh, support for carers so a whole range of services in the community to say um, you know let's work together and and support our, support the orange community to live a healthier and happier happier uh, daily life and, and the role that Banksy could play was just bringing them together and, and as well as talking about our, our program. Jack, do you um, get the same sort of issues coming through as themes everywhere you go or is that particularly unique to towns and communities as well, the types of issues that people are dealing with? Look, I think um, I think they're, they're pretty consistent themes for men across the country. Um, and I know that obviously rural men have a, a unique, um, I guess, uh, amount of, of challenges, you know, with, with living on the land and things like that. There's a whole range of added challenges that perhaps men in, in cities don't face as much. I think the other thing to identify is that the whole community struggles when there's when there's major, you know, challenges in on the land you know the local shopkeepers is not turning over as much business the local hairdressers aren't maybe aren't getting as many clients because they're facing challenges even the local clinicians you know they're probably facing a lot more stress in, in their job um, so there obviously mm -hmm. are some added pressures but I think what we realize for, for men particularly is there's, there's consistent um, themes in in the need for help uh, some of them being, you know, pressure, pressure to be the provider, pressure to succeed in the, in the business or pressure to keep the family farm running, um, to be the perfect father, perfect husband. And um, whether that pressure is externally created or internally created, that's a whole different conversation. But, um, you know, and, and, then, and then the same lifestyle hurdles that we all come across where it's Know, young life, then trying to find out what direction we're going to take, thinking about family and, and what challenges that are, that brings. You know, you get the midlife, is this where I'm going to be for the rest of my life? Is this what I'm going to continue doing for the next 20, 25 years of, of career? Um, and then as we start to get older, it's, you know, what legacy am I leaving behind? What's the love I've created? And and am I, am I still 
who I am without that career title and, and uh, when I do come to retirement and things like that. So it's a very similar um, hurdle, obviously, with extremely uh, unique nuances. But as a whole, uh, we see some consistent themes. And you've had a, a journey of, of mental health as well. Um, and obviously, you want to leave a, a lasting legacy, which obviously you will with all the work you're doing. But just tell us a little bit more about um, what prompted you to make this your life's work. Yeah, look, I think um, it, it was probably a pretty a pretty abrupt shock to the system. Um, I was I was the one who had everything sorted. I was the one who was the first person that my mates would call to say, I've got a problem, you know, what should I do? Um, how, how do I deal with this? And, and I was the one that was always all good. Um, but in saying that, I also had, you know, a, a good upbringing, good family, uh, great friends. I always had really good girlfriends around me. I had two university degrees. Um, I played elite sport. Um, straight, white, well-educated. So I had everything in my corner to succeed. And, and from the on the external, I was succeeding. I was ticking all those boxes and I still had that um, inner sense of, of not being well and not being happy. Um, so some pretty severe mental health challenges and, and obviously um, utilised some, some amazing services to, to keep myself safe. Um, and obviously at the time, it's not exactly what you feel like doing, but you know that it's it's what's needed. Um, and spent a lot of time working through my own uh, mental health and well-being. Um, at the time, I was, I was supporting a lot of uh, Indigenous youth uh, for an organisation based in Redfern in Sydney, but spent a lot of time in, in uh, Western Sydney, in the Hawkesbury region, as well as uh, in, in remote communities in the Northern Territory in WA. So gave me a lot of perspective um, on, on different aspects and, and it kind of with my own mental health challenges, it made me think, well, if I've had all the challenges I've had and I've had all the resources I've had to, to deal with those challenges, you know, all the education and literacy to deal with those challenges, but I still had no idea um, what to do, how many other people didn't have those resources that I've had and, and have been so lucky to have. And also, what did I need at the time that I wasn't given? Um, and so I, I actually came across the Banksia Project as a, as a community member, as a volunteer and absolutely fell in love with the premise of let's give men the skills they need before crisis point. Um, let's help them deal with life's challenges and, and safely and effectively and put a team around them to do so. Um, and, and supported the founding, you know, volunteers to, to get it all set up. And I was lucky enough to be given the first, uh, the first paid role. Um, and I've been here for, for over three years, getting, getting community programs set up in, in different parts of the country. Fantastic. Um, I was going to ask you, like, what do you actually think the formula is for success of Banksia? I was just thinking, reflecting on the 100 people that you got in the room in Orange. Uh, I know, like, my husband works in sort of this space in a different kind of a way, but he str struggles to get farmers into a room to talk about mental health issues. You sort of have to bring them in on a different kind of premise. So I'm just wondering what you think the formula is to get it happening. Yeah, and, and look, if I said I had it perfect, I'd be lying. Um, uh, but what was so successful last night and what and, and it's given me some time to reflect um, on what when we have found success in rural communities and it's been about uh, community engagement and community buy-in. Um, you know, I held a similar event in Dubbo a couple of years back where we had 60 or 70 uh, people in the room as well and um, 
if it was easy to get men to seek help, then we probably wouldn't need me to be in this job because men would just go and seek help and they'd do it on their own initiative and they'd go and talk about their mental health challenges proactively. Um, but unfortunately, that's not the case. So the biggest thing that I've noticed to be to drive success in these sorts of communities is spending time with the local stakeholders, you know, rather than pretending like we've got all the answers. I'm the first person to say we don't, um, but we've got resources and we've got a, a structure that works. Um, so getting buy-in from the local stakeholders, putting local men in charge of, of you know, the advocacy and the, the community, um, I guess, promotion. You know, we had, we had four or five amazing volunteers who have been going through our program in Orange now for the last two and a half years. And they were just running the streets for the last six weeks. You know, they were putting it up in their workplaces. One of them works out in the mines in, in Cadia and he was sharing it through all the mines there. And having those guys are, are the gem, you know, and, and they're not easy to find. And particularly if you're working with a new community. But my approach has always been, you know, call the local ramp coordinator, call the local rural mental health alliance, you know, team members and say, what, who, who do you know? Who are the guys that you know who are already trying to do this? Because there are always those men in the community that want to champion it. Um, and it's about getting their buy-in and support. And, and that makes it authentically community-led and community-driven rather than myself trying to facilitate it externally. Yeah, fantastic. So, Jack, you've got some really um, interesting passions and your role model with the Indigenous groups is, is a key one. Um, was that a really interesting experience for you? Yeah, it, it was. Um, and I, I was having this conversation last night actually after the event is that um, you don't know what you don't know. I, I grew up in a, in a very privileged environment and, and you only know what you've experienced. And it really opened my eyes to a whole range of other experiences that if, if I didn't, if I didn't, you know, see that for firsthand or witness, witness it firsthand, it would be hard to, to articulate and, and put it all together. Um, but it really opened my eyes to the lives that other people are living. And, and so something I was always passionate about was social justice and social equity and, and, you know, equality. And, and so uh, experiencing that made me think about, you know, a whole range of, of people. Obviously you, you always see all the advocacy work overseas about, you know, we need to support children in, in other countries. And I, I don't disagree with that one bit but there are kids in our own backyard who are struggling just as much. And I think even, you know, in, in some of the richest parts of the country, um, there are still some really, really, uh, I guess, embarrassed, embarrassing and devastating examples of, of poverty and, um, and inequality. And so I think that really opened my eyes to then we need to do more in this space. And, and then I think with, with the mental health, uh, challenges that I went through that made me think, okay, well, how can I apply the learnings that I learned at, at an Indigenous owned and governed organisation that, that works so responsibly and, and so ethically with new communities? How can I do that in, in the organisation that I've been in for the last couple of years? So what's, what's one of the mantras that you say to yourself um, that could help others out in our rural communities? There's a few and, and, and um, one that I, I remind myself often and, and we asked, uh, we were asked last night, what's a belief that you would you now know that you've, you've changed since being in this work? And 
the first one for me is that, um, and if there's any, you know, men particularly, but anyone listening, we're the first people to say, if one of our mates came to us and said they were struggling, we'd do everything we could to support them. But when we've got a challenge or when we're struggling, we, we kind of think, no, I don't want to burden that person. They don't want to hear about my crap. Um, and so the first thing that I say is, is if, if someone is listening or they're thinking, you know, I am struggling, but I don't want to tell anyone, they don't want to hear about my troubles. Think about if one of your mates was to come to you and, and, and say that they were struggling. It would be such a privilege and it would be so nice that they trust you with that conversation. Um, and I have no doubt that your friends or, or your support circle are thinking the exact same thing. They're waiting there that if you do need to have that chat, they would they would welcome it with open arms. Um, but I think in terms of a more a wider approach with a systemic sort of look at it, I think um, uh, probably what I touched on earlier that not every community is the same, and, and I think it's a it's a misservice to to kind of assume that it is the same and it's a one size fits all and we can just do, and even if there's half an hour up, up the road, you know, um, we can't just assume that the same system and the same approach will work. So I think really spending time and, and resource allocating on community consultation to work out what does this community need um, and how can we best service that rather than just going a one size fits all approach. Thank you. Well, thank you, Jack Jones. Um, I think we can safely say that you're a bit of an Indiana Jones when it comes to the <laughs> mental health of our guys out there in uh, in rural Australia. So we really appreciate the work you're doing um, and thank you so much for being part of the Build'em Up podcast for us. No, thank you for having me and it's been great to have a chat. think it's time to come together and be the spark Let's be the spark and build them up from the ground up. Don't lose heart and don't lose touch. Build them up to stay in the fight. Gotta keep the hope in the country alive. And thanks for your support in talking up rural health across Australia. And our thanks to NBN, who are lifting digital connectivity and capability across rural, regional and remote communities. If you like hearing upbeat, community-driven health stories, get your monthly build em up podcast by heading to ruralhealth.org.au forward slash build em up.